All right, guys, welcome back to 91 North, 95 South. We are here with another episode. It is Wednesday, August 10th. At the time we're recording this, it's Daniel Drainville and my illustrious co-host, Maxineza. Welcome back. Howdy. Hello. Oh, Max, we got a special episode in store for today. Man. Man. Do we have a special one for you guys? We are so excited. Well, as you, as as they can tell from the title, uh, also hello to any uh, newcomers we might have. Yeah, uh, welcome. Are you, should we do like a like? Hey, we're we're from Connecticut. Oh yeah, Maybe. yeah. Let's do it. I mean, just in case, probably it's probably gonna be some newcomers. Yeah, just in case. Welcome. Yeah. We're from Connecticut. Go Whalers. Yeah, bring back bring back the whalers. Bring back the yeah. whalers. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm a New York sports fan. Dan's a Boston sports fan, mm-hmm. so we just talk about all those all the sports. Turn my levels up a little bit. But yeah, um, but not even just that. We talk. We try to bring in you know every every team you know yeah. to a certain degree. Yeah, we're we're homers. We love our teams. But we, we also try to talk about... But we also don't have crazy Homer takes. Yeah. Without further ado, we don't really have a... You know, sometimes we, we like to have a you know outline of what we like to go through in the show. Uh, but we're not doing that today. We're just... Because we don't have uh, too much to talk about before we get to the special interview that we have coming up later. But um, we do have a couple things that we wanted to uh, include in this episode as well. So... Uh, I'm going to get into... Do you want to go first or you want me to... Nope. I, I'm just... Uh, I'm offering it up, you know? I I, <laughs> I, I figured it's a courtesy move. <laughs> nah, I'm straight. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got some fun stuff to get into about the NBA. Uh, there's not too much going on right now. It, no. The offseason is really in full swing. Um, but... For the past couple weeks, we've been ground through the Kevin Durant rumor mill, um, and that's still going on. This saga, I don't have an exact uh, date of when it started, but it's certainly been going on, it seems like, for a month, maybe longer. Um, And now we just got new reports coming out uh, about Kevin Durant that there was a meeting. I'm taking this from an article... um, written by athletic reporter Shams Sharanya, uh, that a meeting was held over the weekend between Kevin Durant and Nets owner Joe Tsai, during which he reiterated his request to be traded and told Tsai that he needs to choose between him and the pairing of general manager Sean Marks and coach Steve Nash. First off, what, what, do, you, what do you think about that? Like, giving an ultimatum... <laughs> To the Nets owner, <laughs> certainly just, an interesting move. I well, I think my stance from the beginning is there's there's been no point in this entire journey where the Nets have had to choose between any like Kevin Durant or anything, right? Because you know, I I firmly believe that if you told Kevin like if Kevin Durant tried to sit out like he he physically would not be able to keep himself off a basketball court for more than like 10 games so 
My my thing this whole time is like just don't trade him because there's no way he can sit out for a whole season. Um but yeah, that is just <laughs> Well, it certainly would test his resolve. I I also don't I I don't know. I, it doesn't really seem like he's coming from a place of leverage either. No, not not at all. Like he really. already cuz he already wanted he already established he wants to be traded. So now he's saying He'll stay if they fire the coach and the GM. Yes. So, my guy, you already wanted to leave. Right. Like, so. now what do we know? We know that you didn't want to stay with us, mm-hmm. first off. The only the only way, conceivable way, that you're getting traded is in a large package deal yeah. where you're going to another team who's likely giving up one of their stars, and then you're just going to be on a... a another situation that's pro- likely worse than the Brooklyn Nets. So what leverage do you oh, really have sure. in this situation? Yeah, it's <laughs> it's it's an interesting move yeah, by it's KD. A, it's really interesting. Um Durant also stated that he does not have faith in the team's direction, which you know, I I don't necessarily disagree with him. Um but I don't think that this team can have a direction right now when when their future is so uncertain. I, I mean, the Nets are pretty good. Yeah, like if Kevin Durant stays. Yeah, yeah, the, absolutely. Like, what do you what what what's the problem with the direction they're I on? I, I understand, like, like the direction that we're that he's talking about. Um, Maybe he's had some sort of falling out with um, with coach, who, mind you, was brought in. <laughs> he picked, like, yeah, yeah. hand picked. Well, well, did he pick him or Kyrie? I, I'm not. That, exactly that's an sure, important dis- distinction because Ka- Katie might have just been like, sure, whatever, and Kyrie picked Steve Nash, which I, I'm not really. I haven't done much reading on that. Right. Yeah, but. I would have to look a little bit closer at that, but. Man, it certainly seems like he was uh, on board with having Steve Nash as the coach. Yeah. Like for the for the past few years and then I I'm wondering what soured that relationship. And if it's just, you know, getting blown out in the in the playoff series, maybe a lack of, you know, feels like might be a lack of vision, a lack of discipline, you know, and can like real coaching over the players on the team by Steve Nash. Right. I, I don't know, but... Do you have um, Joe Sy's tweet that he made after KD? No, I don't. Oh, do, you, do you have it? No. he. Um, but a lot of people were saying like he came out in support of Steve Nash in the front office. Um, like, he did in, in some ways, but also like left the door open to... Um, like make a move on firing or hiring or like keeping them on, you know? Okay. From August 8th, um, our front office and coaching staff have my support. We will make decisions in the best interest of the Brooklyn Nets. Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So door is definitely open to making a move on uh, firing them. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's that's an interesting um, point of uh, whatever you would call it on this. 
<laughs> that tweet definitely adds something, some some fuel to this fire. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> wild. <laughs> Go Knicks, baby! <laughs> <laughs> we might be the only New York team left after this. <laughs> Good. <laughs> uh, any uh. So, so I wanted to move on from, you know, just talking about the, the situation with the Brooklyn Nets and how it ties into my team, uh, the Boston Celtics. And a tweet came out uh, today from Adam Himmelsbach from the Boston Globe, um, who shared new rumbles suggesting how aggressively the Nets have been trying to trade Durant. Per Himmelsback, Brooklyn initially tried to pry both Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown from from Boston. And a deal with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown in it is absolute insanity. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just... It, it, it doesn't really make sense for the Celtics to do that at all. Um, who's Kevin Durant going to play with? It's going to be KD and Malcolm Brogdon and Marcus, Marcus Smart. Smart. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Very interesting uh, trade proposal from the from the Brooklyn Nets there. The Globe reporter notes that that was shot down by the Celtics, but Brooklyn later shifted its focus to a potential deal centered on Brown, Marcus Smart, and a massive haul of future first-round picks. Still, the Celtics were uninterested, according to Himmelsbeck. Yeah, I mean that makes sense cuz you don't want to it's not you're not going to walk into a negotiation wanting $100 and say but willing to take 75 and be like, "Oh, I'll take 75." You know, you start at like 150. Mm-hmm. And the that was yeah, that was a 150 offer. <laughs> yeah, well sure. that was like a it was like a 500 offer. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, nah, they you you have to make that like initial offer. Um but I don't know. If I'm the Celtics, KD and JT, I mean, that's, kinda, it, that's of, deadly. Of course, there's. It's hard to you know when you think about having those two next to each other. It's it's really hard, man. Not not to like it, but man, I don't know. It's just like not even considering all the all the first round picks that would have to be in this deal. Like giving up yeah, a younger player in Brown, who who I think is just now like entering his prime. But but if if what if you get but if you give all this up, you could be winning a ring. You could be getting a ring. They say that's the goal. Yeah. So, like, but, I don't really care about draft picks if if I'm getting a banner. Right. right. But there is there's also you know. There's there's a strong chance that you don't win a ring still because you you have still have the Milwaukee Bucks to contend with. In oh, the, for in sure. You have the. I I don't I don't have the Celtics coming out of the East right now, but with Kevin Durant, KD and you, JT, would, would that change your mind? Would that yes? That would move the needle, right? Obviously, dude. Yes, I'm I'm instantly. I think. Well, you just look at the Nets. And the Bucks series from two years ago, um, I mean, I I would I would definitely argue, at least on paper, that this next season's uh, Celtics would be better than that Nets team, at least 
in terms of depth players. And then you think about that series, and it was just KD. I mean, you had James Harden, what, the last, like, two games, um, essentially as a decoy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. You give that man JT, the foot – no. Foot, foot might still be on the line, but it might not matter. You might be blowing him out by that point. I'm you not know? disagreeing with you because clearly that is the case right now. Like Jay, like Kevin Durant, as like right now is a huge upgrade over over Jalen Brown, and I don't think anyone can deny that. Yeah, he's an upgrade over everybody. Yeah. So and then you put him next to Malcolm Brogdon, Jason Tatum, Robert Williams. Al Horford and all the depth pieces that the Celtics have now. It's a good team. And Marcus Smart, and, and yeah, that that would be a solid contender for the for the finals, a solid favorite for the fi- for the finals, likely. But and I don't know. I I, I don't see the deal getting done. I, really I don't either. But man, if I'm the Celtics, I'm taking that. If that's what I mean, if the Nets offered that, bruh, I'm taking that. And I'm saying thank you. Maybe I'm just a homer. I don't know. (laughs) Nah, it's okay. (laughs) I I love Jalen Brown too much. (laughs) But uh, is there anything else you you want to say about that? No, that's that's all I had about the uh, Kevin Durant rumors. So uh, I just have one thing to mention about the Rangers. They named uh, Jacob Truba captain. Um. We have a comment from Chris Drury, uh, quote, anyone that has been around our team for the last few seasons, I think certainly understands the impact Jacob has has had on our group day to day, day in, day out, on ice, off ice, game days, or practice days. He's a terrific, he's a terrific, He's a terrific leader, and we think he'll be a great Rangers captain for years to come. So it's the, um, you know, congrats, uh, Jacob Truba. Uh, Congratulations. He's the 28th captain. He's a 28-year-old. He's the 28th captain of franchise history. First one since Ryan McDonough uh, was traded in 2018. Hmm. Um you know, uh, there's a there was an interesting quote um, from Truba um, about how the Rangers leadership kind of works. Um, I don't know if you remember, but last year um, they named six alternate captains instead of have instead of having a captain and, uh, the, yeah, I and do the two remember. alternates. Um, so, uh, quote from Truba: We had a great. Uh, we had a group of core leaders, and if anybody had an issue or wanted to talk, we would meet, call a meeting, and discuss it and figure out how you want to address it. Uh, that's going to have to continue going forward. I think all of our leadership group has different strengths, different qualities, different relationships with other players and people, and we use each other as well as we can to navigate through each situation, every situation. So I thought that was a... Um, Really interesting. I don't know how many other uh, NHL locker rooms work, um, but I just thought that was an interesting uh, quote. I thought I think that's a pretty cool dynamic to have in the locker room. Uh, it sounds like it's you know more open and people feel comfortable to talk. I mean, um, there's what like 20, 
25 players or something like that. Um, so you got six guys you can come talk to about whatever. Like that's, I think that's a great yeah. environment to have. Yeah, absolutely. Not not to relate it to my own experience too much, but it's sort of like um, like having, you know, I was a Boy Scout and having like, obviously aside from all the all the abuse scandals that happen in boy scouts which i never uh, uh, dealt with myself but having scout masters that you can come to and there was like multiple of them and right. you could come you know felt like you could come to any of them with a problem and you could trust them so it's cool dynamic to yeah. have a locker room yeah no that's uh yeah no i think it's great um yeah, uh, you know, I I definitely was expecting Chris Kreider to get it, um, just because he's the most he's the longest tenure. <laughs> definitely ranger. a little bit salty. Uh, no, I'm not salty. <laughs> no. Like, if, no. if 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 you know, I, if uh, if they if they're there every day and and Troob, Troobs is the uh, Troobs is the guy. You know, he's the guy. You know, Troobs hold it down. Uh, I mean, yeah, dude, I. I don't know if you remember uh, watching games, but he's the guy that just lays the crazy hits on people. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> How could I forget? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess uh, I guess the Rangers are really about that life, about that grit life. Um, hey, it's good to see them doubling down on that. Yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not mad at it, dude. Um, I'm really excited for the season. Um, and, yeah, we got, a, we got a little hockey talk coming up with uh, – with a special guest, Andrew Berkshire, mm-hmm. um, talking about uh, hockey culture and um, the issues uh, surrounding it, um, some steps we can take. Um, you know, I think we covered a, a lot of uh, a lot of different subjects um, in terms of uh, in terms of the different areas of of toxicity within hockey hockey culture. Um, Absolutely, and there's so much to 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 tr- ground to try to cover, <laughs> but I think we we you know painted painted it with a broad brush, and we got into some really interesting conversations with him. Yeah, no, it was a great great talk. Um, it was a great uh, well, you know, it wasn't really like a super fun conversation, obviously, but no, you know, it was, it was it was it was f- fun fun talking to him, uh, talking to Andrew. Um, like we say, the, you know, really appreciate having him on. Um, had a chance to meet him up at uh, up in Montreal um, at the Steve Dangle fan event. Um, you know, it was it was great. Um, yeah, re- just really appreciate having him on. And uh, Dan, do you have anything else you want to say before we kick it to the to the pod? Or um, to the interview? Just a super knowledgeable guy about about the sport. Yeah, for and sure. And, uh, yeah, I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. So, without further ado, let's get into the interview. Yep. Everyone, we'd like to welcome you all back to 91 North, 95 South podcast. Uh, And today we have a very special episode coming up. Um, To all our listeners, you have finally got to see us interview our first guest. Um, We'd like to give a warm 91 North welcome to host of Game Over Montreal and manager of the Game Over brand at SDPN, Andrew Berkshire. Andrew, thank you so much. Sorry, 
Sorry to cut <laughs> cut you off. It's okay. um, <laughs> you want to start that over? No. Okay. Not a big deal. That's guys. That's how it works on uh, over Zoom and stuff. It's it's there is a little the bit. nature of the world nowadays. Absolutely. Mm, yeah. 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 Don't worry about it, dude. Okay. Well, th- Andrew, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I'm gonna try not to cut you off again. <laughs> I'll do my best. <laughs> I, can you tell that we got a little Canadian in us with the amount we apologize? Yeah, it's very Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> I actually got into a sorry off when we were in Montreal with the with a stranger. In the oh, street. really? Yeah, it was great. Oh, yeah. Oh, did you get into a Canadian standoff? Did you drive? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, we were walking. We were just walking. This I kept bumping into this woman and she was like, no, I'm sorry. I'm bumping into you. And I was like, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh no canadian standoff is a four-way stop and everyone's going hey, you go first oh my no, you God, go first. no yeah we didn't get into one of those no that's yeah. brutal <laughs> yeah it's uh you don't want to get caught in one of those that's for sure yeah no that sounds like a, a 10 minute issue at least <laughs> it, did, it did can max, get pretty bad <laughs> uh did did max end up telling you that we were in uh we were in montreal actually a couple weeks before you no yeah, we uh, so we, we we went there and we visited for the for the draft. No, we, were at, we went there a week weeks before we really. we saw him there. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> we we did see you there at the yes. SCPN. At the, I, I'm so sorry, I completely forgot. No worries. Um, at the SCPN meetup, yeah, and we were there at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I recognize you. <laughs> I, I was actually looking at a couple of the pictures you had on on the on your facebook uh prior to this and we made appearances yeah yeah so it's pretty cool all right yeah, yeah it, was, it was a fun so event sorry i've taken up too much time just well, talking about the timeline yeah, reminiscing up. you know yeah <laughs> um so Andrew, uh, so why we've why we've brought you here uh, to the podcast today is to have a discussion on hockey culture. Um, as a former writer for the Montreal Gazette, you've done your fair share of analysis of advanced analytics and have authored several articles there. You're also the current host of a show that's focused on the Montreal Canadiens Hockey Club. As someone who knows a great deal about hockey and about the NHL in general. Uh, what comes to mind when I when I say this term hockey culture? Oh man, uh, nothing nothing good. I'll say that. Uh, I think there's a lot of prevailing people in power want to pretend that hockey is this very great thing and that hockey players are the best athletes and and uh, you know I think a lot of that proceeds from the fact that most of them are white and uh, there's a lot of underlying racism in that kind of talk. Not to say that everybody who says that is racist, but they don't understand where it's coming from, why that perception exists. And, you know, thank goodness for Rick Westhead uncovering stuff, because Absolutely. if it weren't Amen. for one of him and a couple other people who are willing to actually dig into this sport and unearth the stories that everyone kind of knows about, but doesn't really talk about. We'd be continuing on with this myth of hockey culture being this bastion of purity, and it just isn't uh, it. There's a lot going on right now. I think the Kyle Beach story out of Chicago that uh, Rick West had helped blow wide open has opened the door for these kinds of stories to be told on a big stage. And it's about time because, 
you know, we're not that far removed from Akeem Aliou being a pariah in the NHL because he refused to be hazed. And days later, taking a two-hand stick from his team captain in practice, Steve Downey, you know, breaking his jaw, you know, uh, putting him on the injured reserve. And somehow Alou was being talked about as if he was the bad guy. You know, there's so many incidents like this that we just don't talk about or we talk about in a way that, you know, lionizes the perpetrator. It's crazy. And that's before we even get into the sexual assault stuff that goes on. And I will say this, every single person who lives in a town with a junior team, they know a story. You know, maybe they don't know the facts, but they've heard rumors. This stuff is not uncommon. Yeah. Yeah, totally. That's that's insane. And that just speaks to, you know, how how this is going on on a small scale, as well as as the stuff that we hear about, you know, through Rick, Rick Westhead and through uh, like major league hockey reporting. But there's so many, like you said, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's so many instances of this happening in in youth hockey and that uh, just never gets told for for either fear of of retaliation from the surrounding hockey community or, or, you know, what have you. Um, yeah, it's, it's a scary thought that this is happening with such regularity. Um, uh, also, also I'd like to touch on, uh, something you kind of briefly mentioned, um, about when a BIPOC player deals with these, uh, like, terrible acts of racism uh like a, a great example would be Nazem Kadri um in this past uh postseason um dealing with death threats and uh just terrible things on social media mm-hmm. and um and there's this thing and I actually noticed a slight difference in how people talked about it this time versus other things but it, there's definitely a sense not only in hockey and sports in general, I think when players deal with these things that it's like, oh, he overcame this and it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of glossed over and it's more focused that he the performance that the player had rather than like the racism. Yeah. Yeah. And we saw that a lot with Kadri this year. There was some pushback on it, which was like kind of new in a way, right. but there was definitely and, you know, I'm partially guilty of that as well because it is satisfying in a way to see a player like Kadri, you know, come after that uh, awful barrage of racism that he dealt with. And I believe he scored a hat trick the next game. So it's like him shoving it in the haters faces. Right. But focusing on that performance afterwards creates this like triumphant narrative when like, it's not over. Yeah, exactly. And it's not something that he should have had to triumph over. Right. Like right. It, it isn't something that he should have to deal with. And that whole situation was crazy, right? Like Jordan Bennington has a history of racist things that he's said in the past uh, that he's posted on Twitter that uh, people were retweeting in the playoffs and he finally deleted like 10 years later. But uh, wow, I didn't even that still up. That's crazy. Yeah, they were still up. It's crazy. But even that situation where he threw the empty water bottle at Kadri and I, you see a lot of people who would defend that kind of stuff who are like, oh, it's an empty water bottle. It's not going to hurt him. 
but the the, the thing is, it's not about hurting him, right? It's, it's yeah. the complete lack of respect and decorum off the ice that probably would not have happened if Nazem Kadri was a white player, even if he injured Jordan Bennington, even if it was on purpose, which I don't believe it was at all for in Nazem Kadri's case. It, it just doesn't make any sense from looking at the replay. But I, I just don't see that happening in a normal situation, right? Where it's two right. white players in hockey. It, it's just, it's never really happened. It's the same as like a few years ago in the playoffs when uh, the Boston Bruins and Montreal Canadiens were playing. This is back in like, I think 2014. And Sean Thornton from the bench during play sprayed PK Subban in the face with a water bottle. And I believe he got fined for it. He might have even got a one-game suspension. But during play, like imagine if he's going for a puck and somebody's coming to hit him and he he's blinded by, right. by water in the face, right? You could really get injured. Seems like nothing if you just say, oh, he sprayed him with water in the face. But it's during play. You're on right. skates, you right. know? And that kind of stuff, it just, it always seems to be a BIPOC player who's on the other end of those incidents. And yet every time a player of those descriptions has something happen uh, leading up to the NHL, they're also seen as the problem, right? How often do you see Attitude young players issues. described as, yeah, personality issues or locker room mm-hmm. issues, or you see like Anthony Duclair being told by John Tortorella, who I'm not saying is racist, mm-hmm. but being told by John Tortorella that he doesn't know how to play hockey as an NHL player, as a wow. former like 30 That's goal insane. scorer at that wow. point. And then right after he leaves the Blue Jackets, what happens? Anthony Duclair is like a consistent 25, 30 goal scorer the next three years. Why are we in a situation still where all these players have to quote unquote triumph over that kind of adversity just to be accepted? It's crazy. Absolutely. Yeah. I. So if, if you know, Given what we know about um, these these specific instances of of you know what we want to address as as racism in the NHL, certainly what some people might be willing to cover their eyes and look the other way about. Um, but given what we know about these cases, why do you think it is that when just last year the um, the NHL uh, is asked to to be involved in the tape out hate campaign with the Hockey Diversity Alliance, which has been founded by several, you know, African American players in the NHL, and they they wouldn't even let them use the the jerseys in, in their in their Budweiser advertisement. Why is the NHL going to look the other way? Uh, on something that it could have so easily stepped in on and said, Hey, at least like, we know we have a problem with this and we're trying to address it. That doesn't show me that at all. Yeah. Yeah. The NHL is its own worst enemy in a lot of ways. Uh, It's also a, essentially a giant conglomerate corporation between all 32 teams and everything moves slowly. And it, it seems like both Gary Batman and Bill Daly don't like being told what to do or what's best. And I mean, look, they're still dragging their feet on concussions. Bill Daly released a, a statement the other day, basically saying that uh, they don't believe that concussions are caused by hockey, which is crazy. Like, 
That's we know they are. Yeah. <laughs> it's very obvious. We've already gone through this litigation with football. So I'm sure that the guys skating at each other mm-hmm. at, uh, you know, 38 miles an hour can cause concussions, but uh, it, it, they can never really get out of their own way. Right. I, I think the NHL is a very conservative institution in both uh, philosophy and business philosophy. Even if like, even things as simple as like, should we really be playing 82 games a season or could we find something more fun than that? Right. Like you remember the 56 game season, two seasons ago now, like that, it was so much smoother. I feel like if we were to do that and then roll in like a tournament in the middle of the season, something closer to what European football does, you know, like, you look at that kind of stuff and there's just no interest, no appetite to do things differently. And it's the same with social stuff. They want to look like they are, but I don't think there's any actual appetite from the highest uh, ranking people in the league to make a significant change. Because in order to make that change, you then also have to recognize that the line that you've been selling for the last however many years just isn't true. The hockey is for everyone campaign is garbage. You know, it doesn't actually do anything for change. You know, uh, the whole idea of hockey players being the best athletes, which they always talk about, like uh, in terms of like morals and stuff like that, obviously not true. There's a long history of we'll say questionable to illegal behavior from NHL players and hockey players all the way down the line that they just don't want to acknowledge. It's the same thing as the concussion stuff. They will not face it until they are forced to face it. Man. And and it's interesting. You, you, uh, you mentioned them not wanting to, um, act on any of these like questionable or illegal acts by players. Um, and I, I mean, from, from a relative outsider perspective, it seems that the, the, the reason they don't want to do that is because the, whether it be the NHL, um, head office or teams at an organizational level, whatever, it doesn't seem that they view these things as bad or wrong acts at all. Yeah. I think moreover, they view it as they're looking from the perspective of what they could lose rather than what's the right thing. Hmm. Right. It's the same thing in a lot of sexual assaults involving, you know, like college age men or rich white men for example like you often see it framed as uh you know like should we ruin this person's life for one mistake right when obviously it's not a mistake it was a a conscious choice to do these things and it's the same thing with hockey players like oh should we wreck their career over one thing when like it's the one thing they've been caught right or the one person who's willing to come forward without acknowledging the victim in all this, right? And their life has been irreparably irreparably changed, uh, maybe ruined, you know? So until they can get to that point, they're never going to change. And and not to, you know, sorry to interrupt, but irreparably changed. And, And they had absolutely no say in that. Yep. That, that is something that they 100%. have, unlike the players. So, 
that is definitely something to consider when you when you're doling out punishments for these these sorts of things. Absolutely. You have consent is the name of the game today. Right. And I think that there's so much pushback from the older generation and people who have uh, traditional values or conservative values. Is it really that much to ask to be considerate of other people? You know, it's just, it's this weird disconnect where it seems like the biggest ask in the world is to not say certain words or not do things that are awful. Whereas like it is very minor behavioral changes that people are asking for. Right. It's, it's wild that this is even an argument uh, that we're having to deal with today in 2022, but, and, and hockey is not the only place where this exists, but hockey culture is definitely an area where they refuse to believe that this is a problem. And, Every single day, we get more and more evidence that this is a major, major problem, especially sexual assault and racism. Right. Yeah. No, that's definitely a great point to make because we definitely do focus on the problems of hockey culture. But these problems are not only in hockey. They're in sports across the board and in society at large. Um, It's kind of... um you know, endemic of, of like locker room culture in general, yeah. but it's yep. just, I, Andrew, is it wrong to say that we just see it's almost like an, an enhanced version of locker room culture in the NHL, the boys club, the, yep. you know, it, it's like, it, it's like that to, to like the 10th degree. Um, uh, sorry, did I, did you have something to say about that? Yeah, it's that whole like that old adage of like boys will be boys taken to the extreme, right? Where it's like multiplied upon itself for decades and people get away with everything. And I think whenever there's a, a revenue stream behind it as well, where there's cash to be made, especially like if a small town has a player that's going to make the NHL, that player knows they can get away with everything and anybody who grew up around hockey knows how hockey players behave in canada especially because they're 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 the thing right they're the the hot shots they can get away with things they know they can get away with things everybody knows that they can get away with things if they do something wrong it gets hushed you know especially if they're on track to make the nhl every little town wants their guy to make the nhl everyone gets behind them and they have to build this narrative for themselves of, oh he's the best guy right oftentimes not true it's just the way it goes you know that whole that old adage of uh, you know absolute power corrupts absolutely it's obviously not like political power or anything like that but having no consequences for your actions for your entire life and essentially never really growing up past being a middle schooler to high schooler in terms of like your emotional maturity and your ability to deal with people, there's going to be issues like this. I'm not absolving them, but this is just the culture that we've created as, as a sporting society. And then you have this entire structure of youth sports, especially competitive youth sports that's been, you know, cultivated in a lot like, Almost every sport, there's sexual predators in there, right? Whether it's hockey with Graham James or the constant revelations in gymnastics, which are horrifying to read about. But like, we really need to take all of sport 
and examine it deeply. Look at who are these people who are involved in coaching, who are the athletic therapists. Everybody needs to be examined because not only are they creating more victims, but they're they're contributing to that culture of silence, right? Because if there's somebody else who's in that who it has those predilections or whatever, and they see that somebody else has gotten away with it, they're going to feel like they can get away with it. it. It's just, it's toxic how much of it there is and how little we actually talk about it. It's changing. It is changing. And I do believe that like Katie Strang and Rick Westhead and a few others are going to create or have already created a shockwave in minor hockey culture. I would like to see the NHL recognize their role here and do their part to help. I just don't believe we'll actually see it for a very long time. Um, yeah, uh, those are great points. Um, and actually, I, I would really like to touch on the, the youth uh, aspect of hockey because, um, you know, in, through our research um, leading up to this, we, we've been discussing, um, you know, things that we think could, could help fix the, the culture. And we, we came to the conclusion that it's, it's really tough to, um, to put things at the NHL level, like consent training, race, tra- whatever, um, and expect that these 18, 19 year old kids who this toxic culture has been ingrained in them for that entire span to just, you know, go to an eight hour class one day and have that uh, switch flip. Yep. So um, while obviously we do believe that the NHL should have things in place to continue that training and that learning and training really never stops, like even in a regular person's life. But um, do you think there are things that could be done at a youth level um, to maybe clean up the the game or try to fix these attitudes? Yes, hundred percent. And I think you're you're definitely right in terms of the NHL. For in a lot of instances, it's going to be too late. I think for like rookies, there should probably be like a mandatory program that every rookie has to do in the NHL to kind of like get them up to speed in case they've missed things along the way. But you have to start earlier if you can uh, junior hockey, even earlier, minor hockey, continue that education all the way down. Uh, talk about consent. I, I think hockey, especially in Canada has a unique power structure, similar to like football in the United States where like, you know, obviously girls for men's hockey are going to be attracted to you. You know, you are, the thing that you, the equivalent of the American football captain, right? Like the quarterback of the team, you have to understand that there's a power structure at play. And that even if you may not be conscious of it, you can take advantage of it. So I think that has to start very young, uh, probably around the same time as sex education starts in school, which also needs to be probably a little bit younger, but right. uh, regardless, like get that going. But as far as like, you know, 18, 19 year old players being too late, I'll tell you guys, like when I grew up, I grew up in Northern Alberta through my teenage years uh, from when I was 11 and before that Southern Saskatchewan. And I grew up in a household that was casually racist. You know, Uh, it wasn't really until going to Montreal in 
like when I was 18, that I started to learn more about the world and informed my viewpoint. So like it can happen, but those players also have to be emotionally mature enough to and take those to lessons. Right. right. And that's also a problem is that these guys, because they're handed everything mm-hmm. and never face consequences for anything often are not emotionally mature, even into their thirties. You know, like you see a lot of guys who will retire from the NHL and they'll talk about like what they're, what, how they feel and stuff. And they're basically a high schooler, right? They, they haven't learned beyond that. They haven't educated themselves. Not all of them. You know, there's still, there's super smart guys in the NHL, like Jason Spezza, who like took college courses and stuff like that during his, his career. There's lots of guys like that too, but a lot of the guys coming out of Canadian major junior operate like high schoolers until they're done in the NHL. It's just that same high school locker room that they were in in junior the whole way through. And there's got to be a way for that to be broken. Mm -hmm. Well said. And, you know, it's, it's pretty admirable of you to recognize, you know, and, and relate this to your own experience that you had growing up in your household um, you know, saying that you, you, you can change, listen, uh, no, no one is set in this, you know, crystallized intelligence type of, of, um, mindset where we have to be like stuck in our ways since, since high school, it's just so ingrained in players from that early age that, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to break them out of, but I think, like you said, not impossible. Um, so yeah, thank you for that. Um, I I did want to bring up, uh, you know, going back to something earlier that you said, um, how the power structure in, in Canada, when it comes to hockey is, is different and more like a, uh, football in America sort of style. But, um, I, I pulled up this in my research, I pulled up this, uh, study that was completed by the Angus Reed Institute. Now, the Angus Reed Institute is a national, not-for-profit, nonpartisan public opinion research foundation established to enhance and encourage better understanding of issues and trends affecting economic, social, governance, philanthropy, public administration, domestic, and foreign policy in Canada in its world. And so in 2021, uh, this institute released the results of a public opinion survey that revealed that a majority of those closest to the game, be they players, coaches, friends, or um, family members of participants in hockey at, at multiple levels, said that hockey at the amateur and recreational level, you know, has a culture problem. They came out and they recognized that. Also in that study, Um, was, was a statistic, uh, this was a poll asked to all participants open to all participants in the study, which I think was around, uh, 1601 participants that they had given it's a small sample size. You, you can't draw like a, you know, you shouldn't be basing your entire argument on this, but, um, just something that speaks to that power structure is like they, they asked participants if hockey is part of a Canadian identity and almost 53% said they strongly agreed. 40% said that they agreed 
and only 4%, which you know equals out to once you add in strongly disagree and not sure, that's only 7% that Ooh. does not, you know, think that hockey is actually ingrained in, you know, the Canadian identity. So when you talk about power structure, that is something to consider when you're when you're talking about something like that. How do we think about our hockey players? How do we think about the sport itself? Right. And then it becomes like a a case of, especially for people who lean conservative, right? A case of like national pride, right? When you're attacking hockey, you're attacking Canada. And it's true. Hockey is a hundred percent ingrained in national identity for Canadians. It is a huge part of even people who don't like hockey understand that hockey is like Canada's sport, Right. It's something that allows people to get together. It's an avenue that a lot of immigrants take to put their kids in hockey to help them belong, right? It's a a way for them to ingratiate themselves into uh, the country itself. And, you know, obviously those people often face racism in minor hockey, which is a whole other thing, but it's another barrier to changing things, right? Because people are very resistant to, uh, push back against something they, they identify as part of themselves. But I think one of the most important lessons you can learn in life is that if you love something, you should want it to be better. So if you love your country, you should want it to be better. If you love your sport, you should want it to be better. And criticism does not equal hate, right? Yes, absolutely. I cover hockey for a living. I don't do that because I hate it. You know, I, I love hockey. I've loved hockey since I was like four years old. You know, it, it's one of the things that I enjoy most in this life, but I would like it to catch up with the rest of the world a little bit. And I don't think it's that big of an ask, you know, it, it's just a big task. And unfortunately it seems like there's a lot of people who will want to drag their feet on these things. But as you mentioned in the poll, over half of people recognize there is a problem. That's a good start. It's a really good start. I think that uh, we're on the path now to get somewhere. It'll just be seeing how quickly we can do it and how bumpy that road is going to be. And a lot of it is going to be painful because this stuff coming out from the 2018 world junior team. And then the 2003 world junior team, it's not going to be the last. We're going to see a lot of stuff come out over the next few years. That's going to be painful to read, painful to face but we have to do it and we can't shy away from it. And there's going to be people who after a few cases of these things are going to start tuning it out because they don't want to hear about it anymore. They just want to like to check out and enjoy their sports. But for a lot of people, we're just going to have to keep talking about it, keep pushing it, making sure that it's out there front and center so that we can keep moving in the right direction. It's, unfortunate that we have to go about talking about bad news a lot but it's the only way to force the league and the sport in itself to get better well said and uh, i i think that is a great point to leave off on but if you have time for one more question sure i I have one more um do you think there is a dissonance between hockey fans and the organizations, whether at minor or in the NHL, 
um, because it seems as though the fans of NHL of the NHL is they're kind of waking up to these issues. And while I think some a, a decent amount of hockey fans are still wanting to drag their feet, it seems like there is a difference um, in attitude. Yeah, I think it comes down to what do you have to lose, right? If you're a fan, maybe you right. discover something about a player that was your favorite and it really sucks and they're no longer your favorite. But if you're a team and you discover something about a player, well, maybe that player has gone off of your team because they're going to jail. So they have right. financial incentives to not care nearly as much as fans do. Whereas we have the ability to kind of turn around and immediately look at what we believed and X that out. And this is the new evidence we can go forward. I think teams it's much, it's like uh, the difference between a jet ski and a cruise liner, right? If you're trying to turn jet ski can turn around real quick. Cruise liner needs to take a few kilometers. Right. So uh, I, I think that's the biggest difference there. Um, some teams are better than others in terms of being ahead of the game. I think the Toronto Maple Leafs are one that's very, they're very progressive. Uh, other teams, not so much, but I mean, part of that also comes from hockey culture in itself, right? A lot of these teams are led by former players. You talk about a disconnect between fans and teams. Well, like how many teams have partnerships with Barstool who has made their entire company philosophy to be harassment of women, Right. you know, Every study that you see nowadays that says like what percentage of fans are women, the lowest I've ever seen for the NHL, I think is like 35%. You're really going to ignore 35% of your fan base or risk, you know, pissing off or offending 35% of your fan base for one dumb company. Wow. Like wow. it doesn't make any sense. Right. But right. there's, Again, there's that disconnect. I think teams have a lot of work to do with catching up. You even see stuff like the advertisement the NHL did a couple of years ago. It was like, not a soap opera. It's just hockey. And a lot of, uh, it was kind of like targeted against women, right? Like this is a man's sport, but a lot of women like this sport too. And right. we have to also look at what they enjoy. And that could be just the sport. It could be other kinds of coverage. We're behind. We, we got to get with it. Man, Absolutely. yeah. Well, what well said on everything, Andrew. Thank you so much for uh being here. We really appreciate it. And uh yeah, thank you for your time. Yeah, same same for me. Um we we, we would love to. I had so many more questions <laughs> prepared. I would I could have done this thing for 2 hours, but uh I I appreciate you giving us what little time you have. You are a a I'm sure a a busy man and uh Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah. My pleasure, guys. You have a good day. Thanks, you too. Thank you. <laughs> See you guys. Bonsoir, Morel.